This is John Rinaldi, and welcome to the Network Connectivity Podcast. Today, once again, we are proud and happy and enthused to have Jeff Smith, CTO of Dynex, with us again to talk about cybersecurity. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, John. Good to be here. Good. So today we're going to talk about, in our well, our last podcast, we talked about a lot of the problems and the kinds of threats that there are to the manufacturing floor. Today we're going to talk about solutions, and but but the thing about we're we're uh, we're talking here in May of 2021, and the thing that's on everybody's mind, and it's in the Wall Street Journal, on CNN, ABC News, The Guardian, everywhere you go, they're all talking about the Colonial Pipeline hack. It's huge news. So Jeff, what what's your opinion on this? What really happened? What kind of conclusions can we draw from that? Well. <clears throat> so there's there's still a little bit, quite a bit that's not not known. What we do know is that the attack was on the enterprise system, not the OT networks. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But given the interconnectivity between enterprise and in the OT space, um, <clears throat> Colonial Pipelines felt that it was a precautionary measure to shut down OT operations, and it probably was. Um, they. Yeah, it was it was plain and simple. It was a ransomware attack. So they, they were after money. Uh, I, I've heard different numbers bantered about, obviously, until Colonial comes forward with, you know, all the finite details of the investigations that have taken place or are probably ongoing. <clears throat> it's it's you know, it, it won't be known. But I, I heard five million dollars, which seems kind of light to me. Um, mm. But, you know, there it's it's a case of these these attackers um, in uh, for all intents and purposes, the, the belief is that it was the dark side um, that caused or that, that perpetrated the attack. And, you know, that's an organization that just looks for weak, weak uh, infrastructure, things that are connected, um, people using older technologies. Um, and, you know, they, can, they, they actually go through, I'm sure, and evaluate which targets are most likely to be penetrated and which targets are most likely to pay up based on their impact. So um, it's... It, it just brings to the forefront again um, what what what's necessary and, and the steps that are taken. I mean, there was a significant executive order um, shortly after the attack, and some folks say that it's in response to that. But uh, I agree with Eric Byers, who states that you know the it's an 18-page executive order on cybersecurity. Um, it that's <clears throat> normally those things are only a couple of pages long, and as Eric pointed out. It's um, it's unlikely that from the weekend to a Monday, Tuesday, that the the U.S. government put together an 18 page executive order. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I would I would guess not. Yeah. Uh, tell, so, us, tell us more about what 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 is it? What does ransomware means? I think that the general public and probably a lot of uh, even people in manufacturing only have a vague idea. So what exactly did they do? Uh, what is what did they what did they did they encrypt their servers? What is what does ransomware typically mean? Well, so it's it, it's a great question, and it, there's a couple of things. There's a number of things that, that constitute as ransomware. Uh, it could be uh, simply locking out access to critical parts of a system so that uh, you know the operators can't get to them, um, can't do things they need to run equipment, particularly in the OT space. <clears throat> it could be. Um, Encrypting, as you mentioned, information and encrypting it in such a way that it, it it's not usable unless it's decrypted. Um, so that you know, there's 
lack of creativity is not a problem. They uh, yeah. they come up with lots of ways, and essentially they hold your system ransom. I mean, it is what it sounds like. It's a it's a piece of malicious software or malicious action that that says, okay, I'm I'm taking over this system and I'm going to own it until you pay me a chunk of money to give it back. So, that, so they could do things like change a password on a on a an entry to some 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 system, and then now it's not available. Yep, yep. And you know, in the OT space, um, one of the things I used to talk about a lot was when you build equipment. Um, you know, centralized servers are great, but it's you know, and centralized locations for data are great, and and there are certainly places where that all makes sense, but. Keeping your, your process data distributed, keeping your information, in, you know, when you build a piece of equipment, one of the things we used to do building equipment was we made sure that throughout the entire process, um, critical IP to our, our process wasn't all in one place. So at best, you could compromise just a piece of that data or a piece of that equipment. You couldn't compromise the entire system, and, and that was done on purpose to completely um, distribute our IP across the system so that people couldn't just grab it, you know, take over one piece of the system and, and have our entire process and all of our, our, you know, how we built equipment, how we built axles, for example. Mm. How, how uh, confident are you in the ability of, of IT people and the people who are responsible for IT security to counter these threats? It seems to me that the, the hackers are spending all day long, 24 hours a day, thinking up ways to attack these systems and the defenders are, are it's only a part of their job. It seems like they're, they're always going to be behind the eight ball. Is that true? Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's the, the nature of the beast, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> it's a, it's a combination of a couple of things. You mentioned that, you know, they sit around thinking of great new ways to compromise systems. Um, and not only that, if you look at the, um, you know, IT and OT has been talked about for ages, forever and a day. Um, and, you know, a lot of that convergence has been ongoing now for years. And if you look at the systems that are out there, um, and I saw this in manufacturing um, across multiple systems, not just uh, data type systems or, or network systems, you know, it, even if they're delivered at the point of, you know, where they start into the manufacturing of the OT process, um, over time, they, they, they degrade, the security degrades, and it's it's not maintained like it is in the IT space. Equipment is not refreshed. Mm. Technologies are not refreshed. So you have seven-year-old and 10-year-old manufacturing systems out there that, that are, um, you know, when they were put in, they might have been reasonably secure in the day, although probably not. Um, and that whole thing is just broken down through misconfiguration, you know, new devices being added to it, um, lots of extra connectivity requirements. Um, Dragos did a really good article and in, in referenced a lot of that same stuff. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a problem. What about, uh, you mentioned about keeping your data and keeping your IP and your data all dis- distributed in different systems. What, what about the cloud? If, you know, cons- it would it be reasonable for somebody to, to infer from your comments that, well, I'll just entrust my data up in the cloud. I'll give it to Amazon and Microsoft and Google, and, and those guys know how to protect data, so, I, so I'm, I'll be fine then. Is that reasonable? <clears throat> You know, it's uh, it's an interesting and philosophical conversation. Um, it, on one hand, the argument can be made that you know those guys are constantly keeping their security up to date, so they're 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 much more um, 
much more likely to have latest security technologies in place, monitoring systems in place, being able to respond to events, um, which is which is probably very true. But on the other hand, it's a single point of attack where you know if I take down. If you take, if, if you watch in the past couple of years, we've had instances where AWS went down, for example, and anybody's cloud hosted services that were part of that system uh, were compromised in terms of e- either loss of use or, you know, I haven't heard of any big breaches on, on those platforms. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this uh, executive order changes the level of transparency that uh, some of these big providers are willing to put out there. What what worries me about those cloud platforms is the ability for people who work there to be compromised, either, uh, you know, some kind of, you know, bribed to do to do things or to provide information or be threatened with, hey, we're going we found out that that you have you're having an affair, you're you're you've done this, you've done that. We're going to expose you. Yeah. Uh, if you don't, if you don't give us the information or do this, I think that that's really probably the biggest threat for Amazon and Microsoft is having some internal security problem. Uh, it's so it's entirely possible. I mean, it's <clears throat> it it you somewhat lose the security by obscurity. Um, if if I keep my you know the other side of that same argument is if I keep my data all on prem, um, somebody has to come to me specifically. Um, if I if I can get into AWS or those systems, which I'm not suggesting it's by any stretch easy, um, it's still much closer to a single point of failure, which in the manufacturing space is something we've avoided for years. Um, and the the other the other concern is um, you know you read a lot about let's monitor the networks well. If you're monitoring the network and you're not taking proactive action based on what you're learning or understanding, um, then <laughs> once I'm in, um, you you might be able to find out I'm in and do something about it later. But if I'm in for a couple of hours before you're aware of it, um, or if I'm in for five minutes and I've planned this attack properly, um, I've already done the damage I need to do. So finding out about me after the fact isn't that big of a uh Hey, look what happened! Because you're probably going to hear from me anyway when I ask you for a chunk of money, right? So if you didn't know I was there, you will now. Well, well, most of these attacks, especially on the IT side, the attackers are generally in for hours, days, weeks, right? They're not. They don't just in, uh, get in and now do immediately do something. They do. Don't they? They do reconnaissance. I mean, the, these people that we're dealing with now are not the, a kid sitting in his mom's basement eating Twinkies. We're talking about people that are pretty professional, that are well-financed, that look at this as a job. And some of these are nation nation states backed. So we're, we're not getting people that are, these things are compromised long before you know that they're compromised. Isn't that correct? Uh, In some cases it certainly is. I'm not sure in the case of ransomware, um, if the systems are compromised for any length of time, because obviously the, the attackers are looking for a payday. Um, so once, once they're in, if they've, you know, typically I think they probably do a lot of research up front and understand what kind of systems somebody's using and, and, you know, do a little probing. Um, but once I think they get in, they do their best to, to take advantage of that situation. Um, those who are just putting malware out there for the sake of, you know, compromising systems with nece- not necessarily a plan for monetary, mm, uh, reward, right. I, I think that's where you're right. I think those guys are getting in. You know, those are the really well-funded guys probably who are, um, aren't just in it for a buck. 
they get all the money they want from their government or whomever, and you know they they probably set up a lab and have your your equipment in there. I mean, look at some of the Square D Schneider Electric things that have happened. It, there's no way they didn't do that without having that equipment up front to test and play with. Um, so yeah, I suspect those guys are in the systems for quite a while. Well, so if you're a manufacturer, here's a a, a profound question. You're responsible for your control system and your manufacturing floor. Do you have to assume now that your IT system is compromised? Is that a reasonable assumption that people should make? It is. Um, I I always when I when I speak on the topic, I talk about that point where you you connect those two systems, or it should be multiple points where those two systems connect. So there's no single point of ingress or egress from enterprise to OT. Um, my, one of my comments was I consider their network untrusted and I expect them to consider mine untrusted. Um, and everything I do is with that idea in mind that their network is untrusted. I think in some places people, the IT people are going to tell you that you're paranoid. We're secure. We, you know, we invest a lot of money and time and security. We're fine. You're being paranoid, Jeff. How do you, how do you answer that? Um, I could probably show about 27 cases in the last couple of years that would, you know, have been significant that would prove them incorrect. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's probably true. I think the evidence is certainly certainly shows now that uh, a lot of IT systems have been have been hacked, and I think that it's it's generally acknowledged that the attackers are, are ahead of the defenders, as we said before. So let's turn our attention more toward. The, the manufacturing floor and so what are the what are the various kinds of different ways that uh, people are are, are are architecting solutions to protecting the manufacturing floor and let's talk about the advantages and disadvantages of each sure so the the first one on my list and you may have more the first one on my list is these monitoring systems it seems like there's a there's the, a number of companies that, that have these systems that they want to put in infrastructure or software that's going to look at all of the all of the messages going around, and they've got they claim they've got special AI algorithms, and they're going to be able to tell you that there's something wrong going on. What, what's the advantages and disadvantages of systems like that? Well, I mean, the advantage is that you can do some really interesting things with data over time. Uh, AI systems require input to make decisions. So in many cases, putting that type of system on the network for an hour or two hours or three hours is, isn't going to do anything for you. But as it looks at you know lots of data points uh, over time, and it starts to pick out patterns and starts to look at, you know, um, things that it would consider typical. Um, there's, there's a definite advantage in being able to see anomalous behavior. Um, the, the downside to that is on the OT space, um, you know, things change a lot until they don't. Um, so, you know, bringing equipment in that's in startup mode for a few months or a half a year, um, it's not unexpected to have lots of different things happening on that network. And then once the equipment is up and running in production, um, then it becomes a little more interesting. But so from the date you go into production is really when your data becomes starts becoming useful because everything that happened up to that point is is useful but not as useful. Um, the other the other problem with those systems, particularly in regard to uh, existing OT systems is <clears throat> they're designed to look at traffic flows across the network. Um, so 
you know, there's a lot of requirement to span port, which is, you know, take all of the traffic from 15 ports on a switch and pump it out a single port. Um, Many OT grade switches, even those that are considered managed switches, can't handle that level of traffic. Mm, When you pump all that traffic out a single port, if that switch uses a central ASIC versus a per port ASIC, which is the the, kind of the ASIC is the the chip that controls the traffic flow, um, it's 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 going to choke on that traffic and not be able to perform. So. You know, that's a problem having to actually put taps, which is just what it sounds like. You're tapping into a network to feed data back up. Um, that's multiple points of failure. Potentially, it's it's a lot of risk because you're affecting a known system. Um, and, and probably the the in my mind, the most problematic is um, if you give an attacker or if an event occurs, it doesn't take long to become a problem if it's planned. So. If you're looking at monitoring traffic um, and your system can't take proactive response to it, meaning all it does is let somebody know or throw an alert up on a dashboard or maybe send out a, an email um, or generate an end-of-day report, then there's potentially a lot of time that attacker has to be on the network. And, and if, if they've already done the damage when you find out about it, um, great, that gives you the opportunity to mitigate it. But the goal would be to prevent them from doing it in the first place. Well, you know, you know, I, I always compare that to you wake up in the morning and the neighbor comes over and says, hey, Jeff, I saw somebody breaking into your garage last night. I just wanted to let you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Well, why did you let me know when you, last night? <laughs> yeah. Or, or why didn't you come over and stop him? <laughs> you know, yeah. it doesn't do any good to know that eight hours later. Yeah. So monitoring is definitely important, but if, if it's, it's only half of the equation, if you can't monitor and take action or be proactive, um, then it leaves a lot larger attack surface. Yeah. So, so the other, the other big solution that's being proposed and, and I hear that there's a lot of momentum behind it is uh, device security where you're going to embed a security chip inside every single device on the manufacturing floor and it's going to encrypt all the IO traffic it's going to do authentication and authorization and all of those all of those things and and that's the way of the future and that's going to that's going to be our salvation on the manufacturing floor and the, and of course the biggest one of those is SIP security that that Alan Bradley is is trying and ODVA are pushing What's the what's the advantages and disadvantages of device security solutions, Jeff? So that's a great question, and <clears throat> you know it's it's um, it's a risk versus reward versus effort to manage scenario. Um, in in theory, if every device was in, it did an encrypted communication back to uh, you know a PLC to NIO modules, um, that'd be great. It would have to be the same across every vendor, every device. So any of these, you know, so if I'm using Siemens, Rockwell, you know, SIP, Profi, uh, Modbus, um, what's the likelihood that it's going to all work the same? Not. Um, more importantly, if, if you're doing that type of thing, it's probably some type of certificate-based exchange. Um, and I, I can't imagine, and this is a lot of my colleagues in the field will tell you the same thing because we've talked about this for a while, Um 
trying to get some of our OT staff who are very capable in many ways, but are not necessarily network or security savvy at two o'clock in the morning. Um, I can't ever have, remember having an electrician who would have been skilled or trained enough to do a certificate exchange between an IO module and a PLC to get that encrypted communication going. Um, that that's kind of a big problem. So, you know, it's going to cost a tremendous amount of money to have staff on hand who can do that type of thing. Um, and then of course, like I said, if it's, if it's Rockwell, they do it one way with SIP security. If it's Siemens, they do it another way. If it's, you know, Modbus and Schneider a different way. Right. Um, right. And there's lots of plants, of course, that, that, you know, they're now, they typically use Allen Bradley, but they buy a machine that shows up with Siemens controllers on it. So yeah. now you, are you going to support and, man, and try to uh, manage two different kinds of device security systems? Yeah. It, I don't see it. And the other, the other thing, and of course, the, the big momentum here, there's a lot of people selling chips. Intel has a security solution. I heard that Amazon has a security chip. And I mean, if I was in the chip business, certainly I would want to have my chip in every device in the world. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of money there in, in these systems. And, and like you said, the, the big the, the big problems I see is that the operational impact of trying to manage these all of this device security is one problem. The other problem is we've got we've got so much old stuff. If you have two hundred devices in your subnet and one hundred and ninety nine of them are protected with with SIP security and the other one isn't, have you achieved anything? Well, that's a great point. I mean, we've got we've got a, a customer we're working with right now that that is potentially going to go try to retrofit security into twenty nine plants, um, and you know we're we're talking about four or five thousand edge devices endpoints on all of right. our network per plant. So, you know, two hundred and fifty thousand endpoints. Um, nobody's going to replace all those. Um, no. Nobody is going to take on the risk of of, of this type of certificate base. I mean, and, uh, frankly, um, you know, I used to talk about security. People try to eat, you know, if you eat an elephant, you can't do it one bite at a time. You can't do the whole thing at once. Um, there's so many other things that people need to worry about before they worry about encrypting IO. I mean, so it's a, it's an IO module that, that drives a couple of discrete IO points and maybe has a, a read only web page on it. What, what's the, what's the risk of that being compromised? And more right. importantly, what's the risk what, what's the end effect of that being compromised? Probably now, if I'm in a nuclear facility, my level of risk tolerance is completely different than if I'm in a traditional OT manufacturing um, environment. It's 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 all about what what risk I'm willing to live with, and in that instance, it's just tremendous overkill. Well, and another thing that I see too is I'm thinking if I'm a manufacturer, I can buy a valve block that has no security for X dollars. And I can buy a valve block that has device security. It's going to cost me 1.5x or 1.25x. Well, geez, do I do I really need that? Am I going to am I going to spend extra money on every device on the on a, on a new line to do that and increase the cost of my machine by 50 percent? I mean, it's like buying insurance. Who? It's it's a really hard sell to sell that insurance. Yeah. And, you know, we want to, everybody wants device security, but nobody wants to pay for it. Nobody really wants to manage it either. So device security just seems to me incredibly problematic. And I, I, I can't see that working. And I, I've been saying that and it's gotten me into a little bit of trouble with ODVA and, and Rockwell. But 
that's life. Uh, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about another another way to do this is perimeter security. Um, tell, tell us what what is what what is what do we mean by perimeter security, and what are the advantages and disadvantages of that? So perimeter security is essentially um, I, I refer to it as capping the bottle. So you're 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 taking those points, those perimeters of your network where you touch other systems. Um, and you're putting in place something that will uh, protect the traffic coming in and out. Excuse me, allow traffic to go only a single direction. Um, so it's 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 a way to encapsulate the network within a, a security perimeter, if you will. Um, you know, if you look at things like we've done in the past with robots and, and motion perimeters, it's the same concept, right? You're, you're you're effectively trying to create a secure bubble around a particular piece of your network. And what are the advantages of, of, of that and some of the disadvantages of doing stuff like that? I mean, people don't want to do that. You know, you're getting a device right now, say a drive that has one RJ45 port that's going to talk Ethernet or Profina and another another port that's going to that's for IT to access to get the energy data out of the drive. I mean, it, how do you how do you do perimeter security when 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 device manufacturers are building products like that? Well, yeah. So uh, dual homing anything is a bad idea from a security perspective, meaning I have one connection that goes to this network and one connection that goes to another network, um, <clears throat> particularly if you're dual homing a PC, um, because with, with very little effort, I can bridge both of those networks through that PC or device. So um, most security folks will tell you any kind of dual home is, is a bad plan. Um, so... <laughs> You know, and I, you haven't really brought this up yet, but if if I were to do, if I were, if someone were to tell me what's my optimal solution for a plant floor on Mm -hmm. on existing equipment, I would say go with a a solid perimeter security solution. Um, It's going to be the least effect, least expensive, most effective if it's the right tool and the right product. Um, And it's going to, it's going to take you 80% of the where you, where you think you should be security wise. And that first 80% is great. I mean, the last 20%, every couple percent will cost you what the first 80% cost in terms of um, implementation and management. So, you know, you have to really determine what your level of tolerance for risk is. Um, and, and then then there's another technology that's up and coming, which is called software-defined networking. Um, and if you if you take solid perimeter security and you do software-defined networking within that perimeter, um, that's really just about as secure as I can see something getting these days. I think we're going to have to we're going to have another talk at, at some point in the future about SDN. Um, the the yeah, what about what do you do with the vendors who are are coming in and they want to tune up the robot or do check out the welding system or, you know, upgrade stuff. Do, do they get access to the, to the network or do they got to come in through the, through this standard perimeter? Which way, do, how do you do, how do you do that? It, it should definitely be managed through the perimeter, but too often people are allowed to walk up, plug their laptop into, you know, a convenience port on the front of the, panel and it just puts them on the local network where they can get to everything and see everything um in it's less likely with you know plc based systems but it's more likely with systems that have any kind of pcs on it that that's going to be a problem um simply because anything any malware that might be on their on their system now can go out and, and poke around those pcs and potentially affect them and i've seen that many times um 
as well as uh, if you put a, you know, if it's a PC that's already on the plant floor and you have a supplier come in and he pops his USB key into that PC, mm-hmm. um, that's another ingress point uh, to the network. What, how do, if you've got a PC on the factory floor and it's running Microsoft, some version of Microsoft Windows, it, it, can you do, how do you do security updates? So if you've got your perimeter security set up so that, okay, that PC needs to communicate from this source to this destination once a day and it, it allows that. But now that, now that you know, we've got a Windows update, or, or do you just freeze that, freeze that PC in place and not do updates? How do you manage those PCs on a in the in the in a control system? So that's that's a great that's a great question. Um, there's no there's not an easy answer to that. I, I will tell you what I've done in the past that's proven very successful. Um, using a tool that basically whitelists the PL, the PC is a, a great way to go. Um, it prevents things from being. You know, you, you might get some problematic piece of software into RAM, but as soon as that PC is rebooted, it's gone because it can't write itself to the disk, can't infect executables, can't do all the things that it wants to do. Um, but even more so, <clears throat> the other side of that coin is I don't put PCs directly on controls networks. Um, I prefer to single home. So if my PC has to connect to the enterprise and it has to connect to the uh, OT network, or the, the controls network, if you will, um, I put them on the IT network or the enterprise network because the enterprise network uh, are designed to handle things like patching and OS updates, wow. things of that nature, and virus definition updates. And then if you're using the right type of security appliance, those PCs can all connect back into that OT network from the enterprise using a secure tunnel. Um, and then it, it solves a number of problems and gives them gives you very specific uh control of what those PCs are allowed to access on the controls network. Whereas if you just drop them on the controls network and plug a cable in, um, they can get to anything anywhere. So you're really, you're really much more secure by putting them on the, on the IT network. They can get, they, they can get their standard security updates and, and then you could just control what they can do through the perimeter security device. Yep. Exactly. Great idea. I like that a lot. I, I hadn't, I hadn't considered that before. So, well, uh, we're coming to the to the end of the of the session here. Uh, next, our next uh, call, Jeff. We're going to talk about the IC, IC, IC the the perimeter security device that uh, you guys at Dynex have built, the ICS Defender, which I have been uh, inc- I'm incredibly enthusiastic about. I think it's got incredible capabilities, and if you follow the the uh, uh, link that's associated with this podcast you can find out more about the ICS Defender and we're going to talk more about that in in depth on our next call so thanks very much Jeff this has been a great call I enjoyed it I learned learned a couple of things that I didn't know as I always do when I talk to you I want you to have a great day thanks John and you too appreciate you letting me uh, participate